Hello, welcome to True Crime Broads. Thanks for tuning in. This is Crystal. And Renee. And How's it going? Oh, great. How are you doing? Good, good. Hey, Just, I wanted uh, to give a shout out at the top of the show, if you don't mind. It's, um, it has nothing to do with true crime or okay. Missy's case, but I found a really neat Instagram page. It's a woman here locally. She's actually in the Lakewood area of Dallas. And her Instagram page is so cheerful. I just love it. It's Carolyn Joe, both spelled traditionally, Carolyn Joe Art. And she has the most beautiful, colorful art that she paints on canvases and sells. And they're amazing. And recently I was noticing that she just started selling them as prints at Home Goods. Mm-hmm. And she also, you know, those Roma rain boots that are so cute. Um she has a pattern of those out now for Roma boots. So I thought that was really neat. I don't know this woman. I've never met her. I literally just stumbled across her on Instagram and I thought I would share it because I love finding out about new things like that. And I thought that our audience might want to check it out. Her, It's just so cheerful. I just love her art. That's awesome. Well, we need a lot of cheering up right now. So that's a good, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> that's for darn sure. Um, how are you holding up under the coronavirus? Crisis. Oh, doing good. Just trying to stay positive and, you know, just trying to find a place to, you know, go find a drive through that you can hit up for dinner since there's not much at the store to get. So exactly. I actually just saw a next door that there is a Kroger not that far from my house, not the one right by me where I'm always at every night, but the next one down. Um, apparently they have food and all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to go there in the morning. Exciting. I yeah, know, it's right? Who, who thought that we would be excited? Like lottery or something when you find, you're like, oh my God, they have bread. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I didn't think I would be one of these people, but here I am. I'm on the search for toilet paper now. We're down to a couple rolls of bathroom and I'm like getting a little nervous because they're sold out in the Dallas area. It's pretty crazy. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It's like the, uh, like the Easter egg hunt coming way before Easter. <laughs> Oh, I just, I just hope it doesn't get any worse. Let's knock on some wood here. Right. No, it's going to get better. We'll, we're going to just uh, say that it's going to get better. Maybe people will calm down and, uh, you know, start um, thinking more about other people and not so much as hoarding up stuff for themselves. Oh, my goodness. You, <laughs> amen, sister. Right. All right. So what are we talking about today? You know, we were going to start off with... Um, well, where did you want to start? I'm not sure where you wanted to start. I kind of know what I was going to talk about and a little bit about what you wanted to talk about. Um, I think you were going to start and I was going to chime in later. Yeah, we're basically we are going to talk about the the LinkedIn creepy message, the uh, search warrant and the tower dump that the police did. Yes. Or the, the one early on where they tried to find pings from the towers. Yeah. Um, yes. Correct. I had to think because I know there's been a couple different things that they did. And so it kind of all starts getting jumbled in your head and you're like, hang on, let me think. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. That's the one. Yep. Um, okay. So um, I guess beginning with, um, you know, the LinkedIn message that that, that the police refer to is, you know, obviously everybody knows that that Missy received a creepy and strange message and it was, it's been stated by police in several different documents as well as news articles that she received this message three days before her murder. 
So she was murdered, as everybody knows, on April 18th on a Monday. So three days before that would be on Friday, April the 15th. So we thought for the purposes of this podcast, I would just kind of go through a few of the uh, places that she checked into. So we kind of know, you know, where she was the days leading up to her murder, just besides just the generic, she was in Austin at a Camp Gladiator uh, conference. Um, And then maybe kind of go through some possibilities because it was said that she showed this message to a friend and the friend couldn't recall what was said, which I tend to believe, but this is just my thinking, that they probably did and they just aren't going to share it with us. And and that makes sense, you know. I mean, they probably did what? They probably did. The friend probably does remember some of the message, if not all of the message. You know what? I got the impression from the way they said it in the media that she couldn't remember the name of the account it came from. But I thought that they, I figured she knew the content, but maybe you're right. I'll have to look at that again. Good point. Yeah, I think, I think they said somewhere, and I don't remember where, that, that they didn't, the person couldn't remember who it was from or what was said in the message. But I tend to believe that they, they remember because you know, I don't know if, if I had a friend and they said, oh my gosh, look at this message, unless it's some long drawn out message that I just couldn't remember because there was so much, you know, there, if it just said something like, you know, I see you or I'm watching you or I know where you are, or, you know, whatever message mm-hmm. it could be, I feel like I would remember that, you know, I mean, I may not remember word for word, but I think I would remember it. So I tend to believe that that the person remembers. So I kind of felt like we would go through just a little short rundown of her check-ins prior to her murder. And uh, just, you know, just in case some people don't know exactly, you know, where she was before um, Monday, the April, April 18th. Yeah. So let's see. We'll just start with Tuesday, the 12th. Well, I'm sorry. Let's see. We'll start with the 14th on Thursday. Um, Thursday, the April 14th, she checked in at Bucky's and posted a picture of herself besides the Bucky Beaver on, uh, on the way to Austin. And that's what her post said on the way to Austin, 3.55 PM. She was in Belton, Texas. So obviously she was with someone because they took her picture. I mean, I doubt very seriously. She stopped at Bucky's and then asked the stranger to take her picture by herself. So she was probably traveling with someone. You know, somebody that is either her friend or maybe um, somebody that she rooms with while she's in Austin. And those, these are just my thoughts. We don't know any of this for sure. We just know the check-ins are correct. Okay, so Friday, April 15th, she checked in at 6.58, 6.48 a.m., I'm sorry, thanking um, someone for something. And then she checked in again at 7.38, uh, 7.13, I'm sorry. I can't, apparently can't read. <laughs> 7.13, she checked in in Austin. And I'm sure she probably had some meeting or something. Then she checked in and same day, April 15th. Again, this is still on Friday um, at HEB. And then she checked in again at HEB at a different time. So she went to a couple different locations in a couple different HEBs in Austin. They were having, you know, I guess they were having like a, what would you call it? They're trying to, get new people to join Camp Gladiator. So they had, yeah, you know, that looked like that. It was called total transformation was the event that they were attending in Austin. And I think that they were right. like trying to recruit people to sign up for total yeah. transformation. And it was like a rah, rah mm-hmm. kind of a conference. That's my impression. 
Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So she checked in several times in Austin and then that was on Friday. So Friday would have been the three days prior to Missy being murdered. So at some point on Friday, because she got down there on Thursday, looks like maybe she was in Belton at 355. And I don't think Belton is but about an hour from Austin because that's pretty close to Temple. Yeah. And I think it's maybe an hour and 15 minutes. So she was in Austin pretty, you know, early, maybe around five o'clock. Mm-hmm. So Friday is, would be the third, the three days before the murder. And like I said, she checked into several HEBs and then Saturday she checked into an HEB around the afternoon. And let's see Sunday. She did post on one of her posts. She said that she would be in Austin until Sunday and and then sunday um i'm i'm assuming that on sunday she left and went home so she was home at some point on sunday so in my opinion the 3 days before the murder would have been friday so she would have been in austin and she you know that she would have either been with a friend or a, a you know coworker or something and that would have been who the message was shown to that's just my thoughts Yes. And while you were talking, I pulled up one of her posts. This one is from April 15th, 2016. Mm -hmm. And she checked in at HEB on Research Boulevard in Austin. And she tagged a couple people and she said, I'm in Austin at the above HEB. You guys should stop by. It's been a long time. And so my understanding, um, there's not a picture on this particular post, but I remember in the past, um, I had found some posts of her. Um, and she was actually out in front of HEB set up kind of like, you know, how like the, um, how like the Girl Scouts set up outside, um, grocery stores yeah. and they sell Girl Scout cookies. It was kind of the same thing. She was set up out there with some promotional material like on a table and was trying to get people coming and going from each HEBs to try to sign them up for total transformation. And obviously I don't. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if she would directly get anything out of that because she doesn't teach in Austin. So I don't know if she got any credit for that because I would assume that anyone shopping in Austin more than likely lives in Austin. So one of the, I believe she partnered up with a local Austin Camp Gladiator person and helped them recruit while she was there. If I remember correctly, I'll have to find the old pictures, but just real quickly, I found that one post that I just um, read. Yeah, that makes sense, though. I mean, maybe it's just like um, trying to get, you know, bring awareness to, you know, Camp Gladiator, because I guess it's stationed um, or was started in Austin, Texas. So I guess that's why they have the meetings and stuff there, because it seemed like they had um, meetings. I think I found another post the year before that where they had um, a meeting there in Austin. So I guess that's why they do it there. Yeah. I think that, I think that Austin is camp gladiators um, headquarters from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you explained it better than I did. I said, that's where they started it or something. Oh. I don't know what I said. <laughs> that's okay. I didn't hear you say that. Um, okay, cool. Oh, I'm seeing the pictures now, by the way, I found a different way to, to search it. And here's a picture of her with a lady named, um, Laura Garza, and they're both wearing Total Transformation t-shirts. This is also from April 15th. Um, I believe it's a little bit later in the day. And she said, Laura Garza is now Austin Total Transformation bound. I love her excitement. So yeah, she was, um, 
And then she tagged someone named Brandon Brickley. She's coming to see you. So she was apparently recruiting for the, the yeah. people that live there. And here's a picture of her with Matt Nelson, somebody that works in the area. So it looks like she was really out there working hard. Here's another one where she just signed somebody up for, and that's really cool that she's able to, she must've had just a really dynamic personality to be able to grab people coming in and out of grocery stores and get them to sign up for something like that. That's really cool. It is really cool. Yeah, I know it. Um, and, and she was, you know, she was so happy doing what she was doing. So it was, um, they definitely had a good person, you know, representing their company. Yeah. Very enthusiastic yeah, and so, hardworking. So that, that's the, the, um, the check-ins that she had previous to the, to her murder. And so I just felt like that was important. So people could kind of see where she was. And like I said, I'm, I'm just assuming if they were, the person seemed to be, cause they didn't, they didn't say anything, but three days prior to her murder. So three days part of murder would have been that Friday. So anyway, so that would have been the day that, that the message, the creepy LinkedIn message would have been sent. So yeah. And it just kills me how um, the police keep saying creepy and strange, creepy and strange. And you know, what's interesting is even the, in the official search warrant affidavit, it still refers to the message as quote, creepy and strange end quote. So that just makes me crazy. I want to know the content of those messages. Um, yeah. You might remember early on in the very, very first group that formed right after her passing Facebook group. Um, I believe it was called who murdered Missy Beavers, if I'm not mistaken. And it was the one that got shut down. So we can't access that group yeah. anymore. But there was a woman who came in there that claimed to have inside information. Now we always take the stuff with a grain of salt if we can't verify it. But some other information this lady gave in the group actually ended up being true. So we can grain of salt this, but the other piece of information she gave, she said that she works in MPD and she did at the time in some capacity, like an admin position. She wasn't a police officer, um, but she said that she had seen the messages, the LinkedIn messages, and she said it said, I'm watching you. And I think we mentioned that on the first podcast. So I don't know if that's true or not. And it sounds somewhat logical. And it that would definitely be classified as creepy in my book. Um, I absolutely agree with you that, that I think that describes it very well. Cause if I got a message like that, I would definitely say that is very creepy. Somebody's watching you. That's definitely creepy. And it's strange because it's just a random message you get out. Right. Of blue, and, so. and neither one of them, Missy nor her friend recognized the man's name. They did say it was a man. And we know that the friend that she showed the message to was a female simply because, um, MPD and the media, consistently uses female pronouns when they discuss that you know she missy showed her showed her the message and she said she couldn't recall the name so it must right. be a female friend yeah and i think you're right i, I think you're right we have to assume she was in austin and more than likely it was another camp gladiator coach that she was working with more than likely so yeah, that's what I'm thinking, you know, maybe like a person that she roomed with, or maybe somebody else that attended it, that she was friends with, you know, prior to being in Austin. So, because mm -hmm. you know, it had to be somebody that she felt comfortable sharing that with. She's not going to, she's not going to share. I mean, I don't think she's going to share it with somebody that she doesn't know, you know, so. Right. So, um, so after this happened, um, 
LinkedIn message, they had a, a search warrant and you were going to tell us about the search warrant that they, that they had for the LinkedIn messages. Yes. And, um, they had, um, well, what's interesting about it to me is there was, they had, um, sent a search warrant to LinkedIn and, when you first, when I first glanced at it, I thought this was all the same person. And I think a lot of us thought that at the time because it just kind of made sense and it was still really early. It was still just a couple or three weeks after Missy was killed. So when they said that they had, that she, there's two separate LinkedIn um, activities here. One is mm-hmm. what we've been talking about is the creepy and strange message that was from an anonymous, well, I say anonymous, an um, unrecognized person, male, um, sent her these bizarre messages. Now, aside from that, they also had discovered in LinkedIn that Missy was conducting, and this is, I hate to even say this, this is embarrassing, but it's been all over the darn news and it is public records. So I guess I'll go ahead and say it, but apparently she was involved in what you would call flirtatious or what the police calls flirtatious and familiar communications through LinkedIn messages with a male. And that male was using his and um, account and it was not an unknown male that was actually someone Missy knew now here's the thing that I've always wondered and I know we've all discussed this several times but the police again were vague and they called these messages flirtatious and familiar and you know that could literally mean anything because you know stuff like that is up to the beholder I mean like sometimes um And I don't know how this got started, but do you remember the groups? Everyone called it sexting. I mean, we don't have, we don't have any proof that that happened because the more we dug and dug and we realized all they've ever said was flirtatious and familiar. That is the official statement from police. Um, And that's been all throughout the media. So, I mean, flirtatious, I mean, sometimes, I mean, gosh, if, yours and my messages probably seem flirtatious and familiar it just depends on what your parameters are um, right I mean were, were they literally flirting and being really racy or was it just kind of complimenting each other or well yeah. never, and, and then they said familiar which obviously means that they were well acquainted at least online but we just don't even have any proof of the extent of this relationship if they ever met in person um, if they strictly well, were just doing some online flirting, what are your thoughts on that? Didn't we hear though, at one point though, that they, they knew that there was talk in the text messages or whatever they were LinkedIn, whatever, that they were discussing meeting and that never happened. Yes. We did see in a number of places where NPD said that they seemed to be making arrangements to meet. And then it seems like we also heard later, I agree with you, that that meeting never took place. So it's very possible that this was someone Missy kind of knew casually and they found each other online and started chatting. Or it's possible that like so many people, they met online, started chatting online, and they just never got around to meeting. Um, One thing MPD did say was that these, um, this conversation with the known individual 
had started back in January of 2016 and lasted right up until her murder. So they were talking sort of continually. I don't know if it was off and on daily, once a week. They didn't specify, but there was some line of communication between this person and Missy starting in January. And it, it concluded shortly before her death. Right. So. It seems like you think they would have put more, you know, and, and I don't know anything. And, and I'm pretty sure you agree with me because that that whole situation was that's pretty much all the information we have on it, except for the search warrant and the little bit of information that we have there. And that's pretty much where that ends. <laughs> so yeah. you think they would have put a little bit more, in my opinion, effort into that since it is basically the first um, do you know what I'm saying? The first bit of, of research in what happened to Missy, but it kind of just ended there from my understanding. Um, he, the person in question was, um, you know, went to the police department and squared things away. And that was the end of that. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm looking at an older article. Um, let's see, where was this written? So I can tell you, I can go Yahoo news. Um, Jason Sickles wrote this article and he said that um, the court documents do not draw a parallel between the unknown male sending the creepy and strange message. And we, and some of the articles I want to point out before I go on, some articles say creepy and strange messages, plural. And some say singular creepy and strange message. So we don't really have any clarification on if it was one message or maybe two or three. Um, I've seen it both ways. Um, Unfortunately, you can't really read into that, you know, and I'm sure you agree with me because you never know if they're just making, I mean, it seems like, and I hate to say this, but it seems like all the articles, they all have some little bit of information that we know is not factual right it's not anything major but it's just small things like a misspelling of a name or a date or maybe even a time that missy got to the church or whatever so it kind of just makes you think did they just have a typo or was there really more than one message? right and this article i'm looking at now says in addition to the creepy and strange police also wanted linkedin to share all electronic messaging between beavers who frequently used social media to promote her entrepreneurial endeavors and a 33-year-old Dallas healthcare executive who is who we've been talking about that she was having the flirtatious and familiar um, conversations with who is connected to the victim on LinkedIn and Facebook. So they were apparently also chatting through Messenger, if we're understanding that correctly. I had seen where um, they had also tried to recover here's the thing they tried to recover messages between them on facebook as well here's the thing though that's different they are saying that they were asking linkedin to try to recover deleted messages because when they looked through her linkedin account and potentially facebook um but i know for sure on linkedin they had found that some of the um conversation i don't know what percentage but some portion of the conversation with her and the 33 year old at the time he was 33, healthcare executive, they, um, they could tell that they had been deleted and were asking LinkedIn to recover them. And they even went so far as to refer to this guy as a person of interest. Now, 
we assume that he has um, since been cleared simply because we have had privy to all of the search warrants in this case up to the present time. And he has never, his name has never come up again. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much where that trail ends. Yeah. So (laughs) just as far as we can tell um, this person, whatever they gave as their alibi, whatever they told MPD, MPD was satisfied and they moved on from him because there is absolutely, we don't have any shred of evidence that, that, they continued any farther with this guy right and i'm glad you brought up the deleted messages and stuff because this is kind of where i was wanting to go with this because at this point you know they have um you know the linkedin messages the creepy and strange message the messaging between this person and missy and so one of the things that I researched and found out is there's a, a program, it's called Decipher, and it's a text message. It's a desktop program used by many police departments and national investigative agencies to capture what they do is they save and print text messages yeah. from any iPhone backup. And the software can also recover certain deleted text messages, which is an additional plus for law enforcement, you know, because they're attempting to gather evidence. Right. So that is a good program that police officer, police departments and officers use to be able to recover text messages. And I know that it's not always, um, it doesn't always work, but that is something that they have. So that's good. And then, you know, the other thing that people started talking about, and it's funny because before this, I really had never even heard of this. I don't know about you, but I had never even heard of a burner phone. I was like, what? I mean, you kind of you kind of get a good idea of what it is like before they ever really tell you, but you're kind of like, like what, I mean, I don't understand. Like what are they, what is the purpose of them? So basically a burner phone is like, it's kind of like a, a disposable cell phone. It can be either an app or a standalone phone that allows you to create an unidentifiable phone number so that you can be easily, you can't be easily tracked back to you as a person. The phones can keep your identity anonymous and your privacy intact for a very affordable price. So apparently they're really cheap. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they did a tower dump, uh, the police department, or I don't know who it was that actually did that. Do you remember? NYPD is my understanding from okay, what I remember. NYPD. Yes, that's, that's right. They did a tower dump and um, to, you know, to get cell phone numbers that were all within a certain tower. Um, there was a story that I wanted to to uh, read to everybody uh, that happened in 2010. And it kind of gives a good explanation of how they use it. Even though we kind of understand it, this kind of explains it better. So I wanted to share it because it, it really helps to figure out how they use it to pinpoint criminals. Um, in 2010, the FBI was looking for a pair of bank robbers known as the High Country Bandits. Security footage from the banks wasn't very revealing, so the Bureau turned to cell phone companies for help uh, to find out who was consistently near the banks when the robberies took place. They asked, for an, they asked for the number of every single phone that was connected to cell phone towers near the robbed banks around the time the crimes occurred. In response, they got back over 150,000 numbers. Um, so that's a lot of numbers. But what happened was it worked. The FBI was able to identify the two numbers that belonged to the robbers because after they got the 150,000 numbers, they said, okay, what numbers are consistently at every one of these places where the banks have been robbed at? 
And when they were able to take all those numbers and compile them into this database, mm-hmm. it searched until it found, okay, this number right here was at this tower, this tower, this tower, and this tower. And literally out of all those numbers, they were able to pinpoint it to two numbers. One of them was at three and one of them was at two. And so they were able to literally, and, and un, it's kind of funny, but these two guys that were robbing these banks, they got these burner phones and they actually put their correct information in them. So the police were actually able to go to their house and find they were they were using four wheelers to they robbed the bank and they they had like jackets and uh, helmets and gloves, the whole nine yards. And the police were actually able to go to their house because the information was all. Uh, connected to their burner phone and find all the things that they used to rob the banks with. Anyway, they, they got busted, but I thought that was interesting how they were able to take those towers and then pinpoint. Okay. So these numbers, these two numbers were used at these four locations, you know, and these were the only numbers that did that. I just thought that was interesting. That is really interesting. And while you were talking, I looked up an article on hushed.com, which I've never heard of before. I just read that. Does it become a secret yeah. agent with the burner phone article? Right. Uh-huh. Oh, that's I did. hysterical. Okay. I was just reading and um, just to sort of add to what you said, it's so funny. They say we don't condone any illegal acts that would require a burner phone, but there are tons of valid use cases in everyday life where a second number could be helpful. Helpful. I think it's interesting how they say um, with a burner phone, you are a ghost. Your identity is not known even to the number provider. So there's no way they could ever leak your personal information. And you know what pops into my head as you were talking about burner phones just now was not mm-hmm. only do I think if the perpetrator had a phone on him or her when she was at, you know going to the crime scene, it was probably a burner. But also when they set up the LinkedIn, the fake LinkedIn account, and sent those messages i would imagine they used a burner phone to set that account up Mm -hmm. and send those messages because otherwise why couldn't it be traced yeah that's exactly because i've wondered that so many times like how can they not figure out who this is and that's the only logical explanation is that they used that phone and was able to make an account or whatever send the message you know, and then maybe get rid of it or I don't know, whatever they did. But, you know, that 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 explains how they were able to do it and not get caught. Right. And I always thought and I think you agree. We've talked about this so many times over the years, but I always felt like if they could find the author of the creepy and strange LinkedIn message or messages, then I think they have the killer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. There was a... um a little bit of information that I came across, and this is just a little bit more info that kind of also explains how they go about finding someone um, when they do a tower dump. It says a tower dump from a certain cell tower would have shown all of the phones connecting to the tower, including ones that receive a phone call and then suddenly disappear, no longer reporting its location. That I found was interesting because, um, you know, they, they receive a phone call or they do whatever it is that they're doing with this burner phone. And then all of a sudden it disappears off of the tower and it's no longer ever seen anywhere again, like in all the surrounding areas. So they would kind of give them a clue as to, okay, this is a burner phone because it appeared, 
it was used and it now it's gone and never seen again. You see what right, I'm saying? Right. And, and sort of along, I wanted to sort of circle back. I had just one more thing to, to say about the person of interest early on um, involved in the LinkedIn. You know, we had always wondered how did this guy get cleared at least to the point where there was no more search warrant activity on him. And I thought this was an interesting quote mm-hmm. from this article. A detective said this person of interest confirmed that they had engaged in a series of communications with the descendant while on the LinkedIn social media service, sometimes starting around January 2016 until her death that ultimately turned flirtatious and familiar. So they did speak to him. Um, we just don't know to what capacity. Was this person brought in? Did they make them walk on camera? Or was it simply, kind of, we had heard rumors that this person zoomed down there and met with MPD immediately just to sort of clear his name. So whichever it was, whichever, I don't know what extent he was questioned or he was seriously questioned. Ran in and explained, you know, hey, flirting, I'm married married i just wanted you to know blah blah blah, and prove that he had nothing to do with the murder or if he actually had to go through the whole you know walk around on camera thing we don't know that but apparently they were satisfied that's the only thing i have not seen or heard a peep about this guy since right the only thing that i've always wondered in my mind is you know i understand that she was um having conversations um somewhat intimate in nature with this person Uh, that you're talking about, but why did they not ever look to the wife of the person? To me, that would be the next step. Yeah. You you go to people around the person that has been murdered, everyone closely around to them, and then you work your way out. Okay. So the first close knit one would be this person that she was having the conversations with the person that she was linked in messaging and Facebook and whatever. And then you work your way out. What to me, if, if he's not the one you know, that his alibi checks out, didn't, why wouldn't you go straight to his wife? I'm just curious. And I, I don't know these people. I don't know. She may have been in another, st- I don't know. I don't know yeah. anything about it. I'm just wondering why she wasn't the next one on the list. My own impression and opinion, just from what we've seen is that they had an idea very early on who they thought committed this crime. And I think that they were just kind of doing their due diligence by going through and obviously looking at all the communications and just sort of wanting to have a conversation with each of these people and, you know, either rule them out or rule them in. And I just get the impression this guy was ruled out pretty quickly. And they might've just realized that these were just innocent, silly messages online that they never even actually met up. Or if they did, it was not for any length of time. And that, Maybe they were just so satisfied that this person was not close to her in reality, just online, that they didn't even bother to look into his spouse, especially if they were convinced that the spouse knew nothing about it. I mean, we heard the rumor that he flew down there to clear himself so that his wife wouldn't find out. And, you know, so not too much of this was splashed on the news or in the gossip groups. But um, whether or not that's true, I kind of just feel like, they just didn't see any there there with him. So they certainly probably didn't think of the wife. That's just my guess, but that's a really good point you make. Yeah. I just, I feel like if they didn't look into it, that was a mistake. And not because I think that this person did anything. Absolutely not. I, I just, you know what I'm saying? I think they yeah, need to, to cover all the bases. You mean? 
Well, the basis, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. like, and, and who knows? The, you know, they might have questioned her, but yeah, they might have. I bet you, they I very bet well. He slept on the couch for a little while after that. What do you think? But <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. Absolutely. So apparently, he's not a serious candidate for a person of interest, but he was definitely someone that they did their due diligence and looked into because there was some messaging between him and Missy leading up to the time she was killed. That's just the best that I can do with that. And they could have focused on him too, because, you know, I believe he was five, eight. And of course they've been saying from the beginning, they started out with six foot and then they went to five, eight or something and one and three quarters inches uh, uh, above or under that. So, and he fits right in the middle at five, eight. So I think that that's maybe that's why they, you know, had honed in on him. Uh, amongst many other reasons, as we've already stated, but then after that, then I guess they cleared him and went on to, you know, the next person of interest. Right. All right. So we got that covered. What are we get? What were we going to talk about next? Let's see. We went over the search warrants pretty much, and we talked about this person. Um, let me think for a minute. I'll look through our messages. Um, wish we had some of that music for that um, TV. We're not that technology savvy, so we don't know how to slip it in there oh or to gosh. make it. If we ever get any money for production. That will really help us out a lot. We could hire someone we're to hiring. do this for us. Yeah, we're true from is looking for a <laughs> yeah. Anyone who knows anything about technical skills. My sweet son is 16 and he's really good at technical stuff. He was he's helped me and um he's gonna get me set up with the microphone and stuff. I was going to use the laptop and the microphone tonight, but then I realized I couldn't invite you in. So we've got some more learning to do. Um, you know what? Maybe I'm we always wondering. Do you think we covered everything we were gonna cover? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, it just seemed like it was going to last much longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, let's see. Oh, yeah. You know what? You did. You wrote me a text at 739 that said, how about the LinkedIn message, the search warrant, and the Austin trip, and the check-ins, too, if we need them. Yeah. We, we covered it all. Okay. Yeah, I guess we covered it all. Okay. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to tell you. <laughs> I looked up and there's that text about when my phone spazzed out and called you like seven times in a row yesterday. That was weird. <laughs> it didn't show up. It didn't show up in my calls, but apparently my phone malfunctioned and automatically called Renee like, I don't know, six or seven times in a row. That's so bizarre. I've never heard of that before. I know. And I thought, I thought, oh my gosh, something must be wrong because you've never called me like that before. <laughs> and you were like, you were like, the know. case must have been solved. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, yep, that's the only time I'll call you six or seven times in a row. I promise. If this case is solved, I will not stop until you pick up. She's called me like seven times. I gotta see what's going on. And this is funny. That's funny. And you're like, What? I called you once or whatever. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, somebody called me seven times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I wish they would. And, and it kind of makes you wonder, you know, they talk about um, the, the way that cases are going to be solved is if they make a, um, um, you know, a, a improvement or whatever you want to call it in DNA testing. And you're thinking to yourself, like, how does it get any better than, you know, testing a little bit of um, 
evidence through DNA and, and being able to figure out who people are like, how, how does it get any better than that? You know? I know. Right. I mean, I just, it just blows my mind. It really does. And you think about else they can do. And you just think about all the stuff in this case, how really close they've probably come to identifying this person, but it's just not quite enough. I mean, there's this electronic stuff, but the perpetrator was sophisticated enough to apparently know to use the burner phone. We're just guessing, but to set up that LinkedIn account, and to send the messages, that person is undetectable. They're unidentifiable. They could not trace that, apparently. I feel like if they did successfully trace it, I sure hope they would let the public know, oh, by the way, we traced it. He's, this person's not, he's been cleared, or, you know. But we haven't heard a peep about yeah. that. And my understanding is, is that they weren't able to trace it. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It was just... They, they tried and there was, they weren't successful and that was just the end of yeah, it. Yeah. And then, know? and then we've got the perpetrator on camera now, granted their face is covered and they're wearing a lot of gear, but it's still someone on camera for like, what, a half an hour almost, um, or yeah. at least in the building a half an hour. And we're not exactly sure how many minutes that, cause you know, those are motion activated cameras. We don't exactly know how many minutes that the perp was on camera, but definitely more than what we've seen, um, that's been released to the public. There's more. So it's just really amazing to me. Uh, and then they also had some DNA, even though it ended up being mixed and partial and not able to be used at this time. And hopefully it's sitting safely in the lab, which I'm sure it is. Um, I'm sure that's just the way they always do it because you hear about years later, DNA technology improving and then some old case getting solved. So hopefully that'll happen here. I hope we don't have to wait too long on that. I hope that the DNA improves enough that whatever this tiny mix you know mixed um sample is can somehow be used in this case and you know we're not we talked about this before but i wonder when it says mixed who the heck is it mixed with is it mixed with missy is it mixed with you know people who attend the church really wish i understood the dna better they and like we discussed before they buried the dna information in an article whose title had nothing to do with dna in the Waxahachie light, wasn't it? Or was it the Midlothian mirror? It was one of them. And it's just, and we, we even read from it on that, on that particular podcast where we talk about DNA, but it's just mind boggling to me that, that the press, the media hasn't hounded MPD for more information on that. Cause that's important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was the, um, uh, Waxahachie daily light. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I've seen more articles with them than Middle yeah. Um But yeah, you know, um, I actually was going to say something and I just literally forgot what I was going to say. That's okay. <laughs> we do that on the phone all the time. <laughs> when I hear. <laughs> yeah, I called you and don't know why. I well, don't know we what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> was it to do with that? Oh, by the way, I did. I did yeah. just now Google it. It was the Waxahachie Daily, right? You're right. It was an article by Andrew Bronca. We should probably email him. His email address is on here. It's from January of 2018. And the title of the article was about them putting together a new investigation team, a fresh set of eyes, blah, blah, blah. And Andy Vaughn was going to take over as the head, the lead investigator, et cetera. And then way down in the article, they're like, oh, by the way, we got some DNA. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. That's big. Yeah, news. exactly. 
Yeah, I, I yeah, we didn't know anything about that until we all read that article. We were like, know, what? That's crazy. That they, on like all, they just all the major it. Yeah. networks, not just, you know, a small paper. That's really strange. Yeah. You would have thought, but I think they might have missed it too, because normally, you know, that's the first thing that, that reporters go for. They're like, oh, let me just title it. Just like that one um, segment that they did. The, I can't remember the exact name of the the title that they, but it was something like, uh, "You you will see the person that killed Missy," and we're all like, "What?" You know, like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, we you're thinking the way they worded it was like they they knew who it was. All they were saying is, "You're going to see the person in the video." Well, we've been seeing the person in the video for three know, four years. I, now. I hate so when they tease because we want we want this. They made, they we want this case solved more than anything. And then we hear something like that, and we got all excited. Um, I know we were like looking at it like, "Holy crap! They're fixing to play this, and they're gonna." You know, they, they must have figured it out. And then they're just showing us that video again. I thought, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> That's it? And I, and I, was I, and I know you we never know. This in a previous podcast, but for our listeners that didn't hear about the DNA, I just want to read this. This is kind of where we're at on the DNA. This is uh, Kevin Johnson speaking. At the time, he was the assistant um, police chief, uh, chief of police for Midlothian. Okay, quote, the little bit of physical evidence that we had, we actually sent to a private lab. They don't say the name of it. We sent it to them specifically because they were involved in that technology and the ability to do that, Johnson said. The problem was the quality of the sample we sent was not sufficient. They needed more of a complete profile than what we had. And what we had was a partial and mixed profile, end quote. That's all we wow. know about that's the, the extent of the knowledge we have about the DNA in this case that's very Isn't very it? frustrating i know i want more <laughs> and and i here's my question because if you mm. and i were members of the traditional media not amateur podcasters but actually you know members of the press i have a feeling that we would be asking these questions <laughs> we would be darkening mpd's door now they yeah. may throw us out but we would email we would ask right. we would be <laughs> asking so i have to wonder was the media at some point more aggressive than they're being now. Now it just seems like they hardly care at all with the exception of that HLN show that we've talked about several times on the podcast with the exception of that program, which was really good and really thorough with the exception of that, there's really been not any local coverage lately of any kind, especially nothing detailed, just a really, really vague update maybe on the anniversary. And that's it. Yep, that's exactly right. I wonder um, if MPD pushed them away so much that they just gave up and stopped asking. But, you know, if I was in the media, I would say, look, if you're really an investigative journalist, you're going to say, you know what? That worked for the first year or two. It's been three years now. It's been four years now. It's time to talk or else we're going to we're going to, you know, say what we want to say. Do you want to do you want it to come from you or from us? You know, and. I don't know. I would definitely say if you want to control the narrative, start giving us some information here or we're just going to start digging through public records and we'll tell the story. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like I would like right. to see some. I don't know. I'd like to see a little more aggression from our local media. They seem to have rolled over and, and I could be wrong about that. I hope I am. But that's the way it appears that they just moved on. You know, that one of the biggest questions that I have is uh, whatever come of the Tarrant County uh, digital investigators that joined the Midlothian yes. police 
to help solve yes. the, the case. You know, that was something that they did that we were all like, oh, wow, that's going to be great. And then literally we got nothing from that. Literally. I mean, it was like it's the Tarrant County DA's digital forensics and technology yes. team. Um, they had a, a, a state of the art facility in May of 2015 yes. and they showed the investigators how they could piece together huge amounts <laughs> of digital clues to solve the case. They actually called it digital footprints. Um, and if you didn't read the article correctly, you would actually think there was footprints at the scene because you're like footprints. Oh my God. And then you're yeah, like, Oh, digital. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, they're trying to figure out how to, they're going to, you know, recreate or reconstruct the crime scene so that they can piece, you know, things together and, and figure out more about it. And then we literally, to my knowledge, we never heard anything about it. It actually says they retraced the sus suspect's steps seen in every frame captured on the motion activated cameras. Each door frame was also measured to better estimate the murder's height and width. Um, the police have long believed the answer as to who killed Missy Beavers would come with the help of video. Their hope is that Tarrant County's best digital minds can help them find it. And that was in May 12th of 2016. So really close. I mean, it wasn't long after she was right. killed that this happened. And we've literally and nothing else about it. It was really interesting that this Tarrant County state-of-the-art forensic lab with the video and the technology lab, that that was rolled out less than a year before her death. It was May... Uh, toward the end of May of 2015, yeah. and um, in that article where they're talking about the debut, this is before Missy was killed, they were saying in the video room, forensic video analyst Mark Porter can enhance, organize, and format surveillance images and video that will create a timeline of events for a crime. It's really interesting. And then he said just about every case is going to have some aspect of video evidence involved in it. Porter said the computer room is where the investigators can quickly break down large amounts of information stored by a suspect. Um, time is of the essence with a lot of the stuff. Most of the stuff we get in here is prior to indictment. Um, he calls this place a one-stop shop for digital evidence. And it could be the place where old cases are cracked and new ones are solved in record time. Man, you know, I just don't understand. And, you know, when you were talking just now about how they, you know, measure everything, you know, this is very technical and very precise. I really feel like, you know, that early on they gave that, uh, it was a five inch, wasn't it 5'2 to 5'7 was that initial um, height range. I yes. just have to think they, they put that mm -hmm. out there to mess with the perpetrator or something because you can't tell me with this state-of-the-art equipment and these investigators working on this, that they couldn't get closer than a five inch range. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. And then we basically kept, um, I think they actually went up an inch and then went up another inch and a half. Yeah, inch now and we're up with the plus <laughs> minus three quarters of an inch. I think we're now up to about five ten. So it's a huge difference. And, and initially yeah. they were saying a six foot male. I mean, this is all over the place. So I have to think that, a lot of that information about the height had to have been to throw the perp off or to mess with the perp or to make the perp think they're not actually looking at them because they know the perp is considerably taller than 5'2 to 5'7. But there's just no way I'm going to believe that they had to release a five-inch range. I mean, that's almost half a foot. You know, they, they know exactly how tall it was. It makes, it makes me think, though, that they're giving extra uh, room in there for yeah. shoes, for helmets, 
because they actually believe that those things are adding height True. to what they're actually seeing. But, but so they're like, they, but give they some tough, you know, Oh, you mean like if you're looking at the person without the, yeah. the gear on, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. saying, well, we're, you know, we think that their shoes are this and we think right. the helmet is this. But I still so can't, we're going to say, can't believe that here they to here. five inches. That's yeah, like I mean that is a lot almost, for sure. That, there's no just, helmet or shoes. I mean, and we can see when our totally untechnical um, zooming in of the video shows that that perpetrator is wearing Under Armour, um, some sort of athletic or tactical boot. Those don't really have any high, heel height on them. So, and the that helmet is not going to add several inches, much less five. So I'm very I'm very suspicious of that height range um, because back they had all kinds of state-of-the-art investigation investigators helping in this lab, and who knows if the FBI helped out with that as well. Whatever they had, it's better than five inches, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I'm reading right now that the uh, this reconstruction team helped um, in the murder investigation mm -hmm. of Dana Lee Taylor, whose skeletal remains were found near Elmont in 2006, and the disappearance of a Hillsboro resident, Kenneth Glaze, missing oh for word. more than 40 years. Sad. Golly, so I mean, it's it's awesome things that they can do. It's just when it doesn't work that it just yeah. kind of makes you go, huh? That's crazy. <laughs> you know. We do a, a reconstruction, crime scene reconstruction, and then, and then that's it. You just never hear anything. So you're like, okay, so what did yeah, you get out and, of this? Yeah, and you know, they're you clearly know, being very tight-lipped. We've talked about this a lot. MPD has made it clear. They even told us, Kevin Johnson told us in a couple of different interviews he did for the media that we are not going to release everything to the public. It would be ill-advised for us to do so, and some paraphrasing, but he said something to that nature. And, you know, I have to agree with that, of course, but we want to know because we care about this case. So it's, it, I know it drives us crazy, but for whatever reason, for the good of the case, they're apparently keeping a lot of things secret. But you know what? You and I just ranted about this. It might have even been earlier today, um, or I ranted about it. The, I think the one thing that bugs me the most, and this is jumping all over the place, but you know, we have that December 26th search warrant. Oh, we need to do a podcast on that, by the way. We've referred to it many times, and I don't think we've actually done a thorough podcast on that. Um, but it, there was a passerby who saw a, sm a small dark SUV leaving the scene of the crime at 4.30 a.m., approximately 4.30. Well, they hammered away at the Nissan Altima catty corner across the street several hours before the murder, which may or may not be involved. But you've got a car fleeing the church parking lot at 430 that nobody there that it was there recognized. So why did MPD not tell us about that? I would think that that's very important for the public to be aware of that car. I will never understand that. You know, I just thought about something though. Wasn't the first person that got there there at 435? Um, no, because he was supposed to work out at <laughs> starting at 430. So he probably got there sometime before 430. Because that was when the early arrivers start. And that morning, the two females that normally work out at 430, 
they didn't right. they weren't there one had right. flat one just decided not to go because of the rain and then he was supposed to be joining them for the first time so i would bet i mean i don't think we have any evidence that we've seen of what time he pulled up but you know he attempted to get in the door he attempted to call missy missy wasn't answering and yeah, we had talked about how eerie it was that unfortunately it sounds like he was there when she was being murdered or at least toward the end of the murder. Um, and then um, I'm willing to bet he was the one that observed the small dark SUV leaving. Of course, not knowing that Missy was in there murdered, it didn't really mean that much to him. You know, what would you be thinking? Hey, maybe that's the janitor or maybe that's someone who forgot right. something or someone turning around. Um, it was raining too and very, right. very early and dark. Um but yeah, and he was supposed to begin the workout at 4.30. Um, so I'm guessing he rolled up at 4.20, 4.25. But when he couldn't get in the door and he couldn't get Missy to answer her cell phone, he turned around. He was seen under the awning and the geofencing. Remember that geofencing search warrant? He was seen yeah. that we found out at that when yes. he came back in July. He was seen standing under the awning. But then he returned to his car and waited in the car because he just couldn't get in and we learned later through talking to one of the ladies that was supposed to be there at 4 30 there was a special button under the handle you have to push to get in or some kind of thing that he didn't know about so i'm sure that early arriver was very confused um as to why her truck was there open clearly in a state of being um unloaded and you know, so he knows she's in there. She's not answering her cell phone. She's not coming out. He can't get the door to open because he's not aware because it was his first time to let himself in. He didn't know how to work the door. So he just gave up, went and waited in the rain in his car. And, um, you know, and then unfortunately we know, we know now what was happening, but of course he didn't at the time. Um, but you know, we also found through public records that he was the one that placed the 911 call that morning. Which is consistent with, you know, him being there early. That part is consistent. It's just, it's weird because they, they say that uh, there was two 911 calls made, one at five, uh, five o'clock a.m. and then maybe some seconds and then 501. But yet on the documents, it only lists the one five o'clock, yeah, which I don't understand that. And then, of course, that changed in a couple of different documents yeah, to 506. And, and you know, I was talking to my husband about this, and his guess was maybe, and we're all just speculating half or more than half the time, but his speculation was maybe if someone else calls from an identical scene about an identical crime and they don't have any additional information, that maybe that one doesn't get logged because it's a repeat and it's just people panicking. Because I mean, I bet sometimes, I mean, I'm surprised there wasn't, it depends mm -hmm. on how many people were there that early that found her oh i guess pretty much everybody would have been though because they found her around five i'm surprised that every single one of them didn't call because when people are panicking and freaking out and i can sort of imagine i can see why there was more than one one nine one call i would have i would have probably run away from the building i would have been oh, afraid the killer was still in there i would have been one of them that would have oh, ran to my car and you and i one and left you like, and i, I would have been about that so much you would have heard my tires squealing <laughs> i would have said look i'll come back and give statements when mpb mpd gets here but i'm out i mean i would be gone because i would be pretty convinced you don't know that person's not still in the building it's absolutely not funny but it's it's funny that you know that 
I mean, I would be like you. Listen to you say you're going to spoil yes. your tires. I would have been doing the same thing. I would have been you, a blooming I mean, idiot. They, just I'm getting very impressed with the bravery of those camp gladiators that were there that morning because not oh, only gosh. did they stay, absolutely, and not only did they not run to their cars, from every account that we've seen and heard from reliable sources, some of whom were there, said that they were trying to do what they could even though it was obvious that she was more than likely had passed on they were trying cpr there was more than one person that tried cpr i mean they were trying to help her i would have been so terrified i'm not sure i would have been helpful in that instance i'm very impressed that those i'm very impressed those people kept such a cool head and were trying to help her me and you would have been on the same page. I wouldn't have been able to either. I would have been petrified for that person being there. Just, so I would and, have, and, you and know, just, just so been like traumatized just, by seeing mm-hmm. someone in that condition, especially someone, most of them, I think everyone there knew her, you know, it wasn't their first time to meet her. So it's just really scary. Right. We, we know, yeah. Yeah. They all knew her from, from what we know. <laughs> even so even, the, bra- even the brand new person was well acquainted correct. with her. It was just his first time to work out there at 430. They knew each other just around town. Um, We have a picture of them together prior to that. Um, He has never been considered a suspect or a person of interest, though, just to make that clear. But they were acquainted. Right. Yep. It's it's a very difficult case for sure. I sure wish they would reach out for some help. I read another article, and I don't have it in front of me to quote it, but um, it was another case that have, they were having a problem solving, and they reached out to the Texas Rangers, and I'll find it so that I can at least tell everybody more about it, but they reached out to the Texas Rangers, and this police department was like you know we don't want your help we don't need your help we got this you know whatever and they actually mentioned that the police department was acting out of you know good old boy like I don't we don't need you we got this we know how to do it we know what we're doing and 20 30 years later they still hadn't solved the crime and it was because it was you know an ego boost I guess for them to solve it and not have to have outside help and I can't imagine I, I guess I just obviously never been in that position to be more concerned with getting credit for something versus using whatever means it takes to solve a crime. Cause I do not care if I get credit for anything, as long as it, you know, as long as it gets solved, that's the most important part. I mean, number one, get the person off the streets. Number two, justice for the person that was, you know, brutally killed and also give closure to the family. So I, it just, it just boggles my mind how you could let something like that that's so simple come between you know solving a crime and getting credit for solving it yourself yeah, and it just it's just totally, frustrating totally frustrating we've been frustrated now for a long time you know when we first started following this case we thought it'd be a couple nope. of few months tops you know before it was solved before we saw an arrest oh yeah we kept we could yeah, we kept seeing uh, every time you turned on the TV for weeks or months, actually, you would see, you know, the, the case would pop up on the TV and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is it. You know, and then you'd watch it and you're like, there's nothing. And then the next day they put it on again. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is it. You know, they're going to they're going to tell us they solved it. They arrested somebody. Nothing. And every time. And then finally, you just gave up. You knew they were going to come on well, TV and, and they and weren't going to say anything. The message you know? board called Web Sleuths 
very popular true crime board. They had mm-hmm. a very active Missy Beavers thread at yep. the time, several threads, and then they would shut them down. It was kind of weird. I had a hard time following Web Sleuths, but I know it was a really popular place to talk about the Missy Beavers case, and I used to look at it. I don't think I ever posted, but um, I remember them saying that an arrest was coming, and I was really bought into it. I remember thinking, I'm ready. Let's have this. Yeah, happen. we did. Yeah. That ended up obviously not being true. That was years ago. There was a, a several um, internet sleuths, if you want to call them, um, that predicted, uh, just wait, they're, they're going to have an arrest mm-hmm. by the end of this month. Remember? And everybody would be like, woo. And then, then the end of the month would come and go. And we were like, oh, I wonder what happened. Well, maybe it's just taking a little longer. And then they would change it. And, and I don't know who this person was or who, you know, whatever. But they would, they would say, you know, it's going to be solved, you know, at X, Y, Z amount of time. And just, just wait, it's coming. I, I have inside information, blah, blah, blah. And nothing would ever happen. And we were all like, are you just right, guessing? Know. Or, you know, <laughs> exactly what's... And, the, and then they stopped. But I do have a question, if you know, because I don't know the answer to this. Do you know, um, why was Web Sleuths um, shut down for that, for the Missy Beavers discussion? I'm just know. curious. I, I know that, that they would shut down threads after a while and they would say, if you want to continue, go over to this other thread. So they would shut down a thread and then they would start a new one. And that happened periodically. And I don't know what the criteria was for those threads being shut down. Maybe some of our listeners are web sleuths um, experts because we're certainly not. You and I never really were into it. Um, that actually is where Tim was hanging out all that time mm-hmm. before he came into our, the groups that we were in. Um, and he, you know, established a lot of relationships with people on there and stuff. But we just weren't into it. So I can't even begin to understand or explain that. But. I do think at some point they shut it down completely and it's like you couldn't even talk about Missy Beavers on there anymore. Yeah, I, that's what I remember. And then also I'm curious as to why did the the very first Missy Beavers group uh, who murdered who murdered or who killed, I'm not sure which, who murdered Missy Beavers, the very first one that was ever created why did that one get shut down did it get shut See, down or did the person there was just all these it? crazy rumors Ooh, mm-hmm. the fbi shut it down you know people were saying all kinds of crazy stuff and mm-hmm. i honestly yeah. think that in the fullness of time yeah. looking back on it i think the person the admin just whoever created it not necessarily the admin but whoever created it just shut it down because it was and you know you know how weird and i had never and you and i both had never followed a case like that before where we were online I had followed cases just like, you know, Scott Peterson and Melanie McGuire and all those cases. I followed them like on court TV or on the regular news, but I had never been involved in those online groups before the Missy Beavers case. And, you know, so Mm -hmm. I don't, I hadn't really, it hadn't, I didn't realize that that's like a magnet for crazy people, you know, but apparently it is. So we found that out the hard yeah. way a few times, but yeah, there's a, yeah. it's like a Looney Tune sort of a magnet. So you have to really watch it and just kind of watch who you talk to privately or in the group and you got to. Yeah. Cause you don't really know who you're talking to. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have uh, back then, not now messaged me. Who do you think it is? I'm like, Oh no, I don't know. Man, the people you know, that have the energy to have all those fake accounts, that's pretty crazy. I mean I mean, I just think about what it, it would is. take to have a fake account. You have to have a new email address and you gotta set up the fake and try to make it not look fake. I'm like, wow, you guys must not have jobs, you know. <laughs> so anyway. 
Exactly. You got to get all these pictures of families that match on there and, and, you know, come up with a name and then you got to remember the name and then you got to remember the password. It's I like, know it's the crazy. That, that just so, wears yeah, me we, out we thinking about to, it. The ones that we add in, we try to keep the fakes out and I really try not to look at the groups that much anymore because they're really, if, if, if I'm dishing out advice to our listeners, if you haven't gotten into any of the Missy Beavers groups online on Facebook, don't bother. You're not missing anything. <laughs> We've wasted, I've wasted a lot of time in there and gotten very oh little gosh, substantial real information. It's mostly people giving their opinions and running in circles and fighting with each other. I'm admin of two of them now. And the ones that I am admins of, I almost never look in there. I'm a horrible admin. But when I do and I see people being nasty to each other, I just warn them. And then the next time they do it, I remove them because I can't stand that stuff. And, you know, I just can't stand people fighting and chewing each other out. It's like, if you can't discuss this like an adult, you're going to have to leave. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, I recommend staying away from the Facebook groups yeah. if you possibly can. I just, have we really gotten anything all that great out of it? Probably not. No, I don't think so. But do you remember the, uh, the oh, whole yes. uh, Leon sedan? <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was so, so one of our, so somebody in one of the groups makes a post and they say, so, and I don't know exactly what it said, but something like, did, did y'all, did they ever find the neon sedan? And we're like, what, what, what are you talking about? Neon sedan. And she's like the neon sedan that was seen leaving the church or whatever. And we're like, uh, there was no neon sedan. There was a Nissan Altima that left, you know, that was circling the, SW, the SWFA. And then the dark colored SUV that was uh, seen leaving the church at two different times, you know, two different cars, the whole nine yards. She's like, nope, it was a neon sedan. And so I'm, I'm typing neon sedan with a question mark. Yes, neon sedan. And I'm like. And you're, you were doing the same thing. You're like, what? What are you talking about? We're so confused because yeah. we've literally never heard this. So we go back and forth. And like, I don't know, forever, it seems like. And she, this person's still saying, yes, neon sedan. I know what I saw. I know what I read. And finally, I she uh, sent a link to the article that she was reading it or quoting it from. So I went on there and, and listened to it. And the, and, the, and the police officer says, Nissan sedan. So I said, it's not neon sedan, it's Nissan sedan. And she says, oh, sorry, I talk into my phone and I guess that's what it typed. But I'm like, I like verified it with you like five times. So that's just kind of an example of the craziness that you get in there. And you wasted all this time over nothing. And everybody's like, oh, there's a neon sedan. And then and then it just goes rampant. Did y'all hear there's a neon sedan? And You know what I mean? So yeah, I, just kinda, I agree. Yeah, we've seen a lot of wacky crazy. stuff in there. So <laughs> But you know what? It's interested in this case as we are. I think we became desperate and started hoping that at some point somebody was going to drop some good information, but that almost never happens. And you have to wade through a lot of ridiculous stuff. So um, even though we have participated in the groups and I'm yeah. super happy that we met each other in the groups, but I will say that overall, um, that's just not a quality experience. We were just lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of speculation. I mean, we we speculate. Everybody's going to speculate, but it, it's not just that. It's that they would take it and, and not say, "Well, we're speculating." They would be like, "This I is fact." Yeah. I read or it. Or they'll speculate. Yeah. Like I like yeah. it when people speculate and they've really studied the situation. Then you kind of have a right to speculate. I mean, it's okay, but it's not okay to me to speculate. If you've never done any research, you've hardly read anything about the thing. You're just using like your instincts. And now I'm going to speculate. It's like, no, that's guessing, you know, that's not speculating. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if the person lived in, um, you know, Amarillo and drove all the way down here and put on the gear. So because or, they had nothing better to do because they're atheists. Just see people online or in person, and they think they walk the same way, and they just take a theory and run with it with nothing really to back it up. We've seen a lot of that. Yeah. It's just not useful. So, that but it's true. We did have a listener that uh, commented on our uh, Facebook page and noted that they see um on the perp um like how would you describe it like they think that maybe they had a yeah a yeah cam i think on, he must listen to our episode where we on last time we did talk a little bit about body cams on our gate technology episode which was episode six and um yeah yeah he, he's yeah, actually we one of the cool people from the groups yeah. that we've met um he said uh let me see here Oh, I'm looking at the wrong comment. Oh, here we go. He goes, I believe that the perp put on a body cam when he went into the cub corner room. You can see his upper left chest area is different when he comes out of that door. As he walks across the hall at one minute and 18 seconds, you can see it protruding from his chest. So we should, um, we should look at the video and see if we can see that. I agree. I mean, there's a couple of things that um, that I see in one part and I don't see in another, and it could just be because I'm missing it. So I, yeah, yeah we, we, we we can we watch will, it again and and, we'll and for our listeners and take note of what our viewer commented in our Facebook group. But if you want to see the comment for yourself, our Facebook group is called our Facebook page. I mean, is called True Crime Broads, and you can follow it, you can like it, or you can just look at the. I believe it's set to public, so you can just look at the comments. Um, either way, but we would appreciate it if you followed us or liked us or both. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, his comments very interesting, and we should. Um, it only came in very shortly before we went on the air to record this podcast, so um, we will watch that and think about it, and we'll mention in our next podcast. Yep, sounds like a sounds like a good plan. Yeah. I definitely want to see what he's talking about. Um, so if y'all have any ideas of it, something y'all want us to talk about next, let us know. Um, we are going to pick, like we talked about before, a uh, murder that we're going to cover, an unsolved, either an unsolved or a solved murder, um, or maybe even a famous um, serial killer story. Um, we're considering doing the Golden State Killer, and we're going to do it one time a month. And so that's just um, an idea. So if y'all have any cases that you would like us to talk about or discuss one time a month, just let us know. And then of course, if you have any questions on anything that we've discussed. And when we start, and when we um, start incorporating we, the once a month new cases in, we, um, it will not take away from our Missy Beavers coverage. We will still be dissecting that. That is our passion. That's our number one case. And I think it always will be. So uh, we're going to keep talking about Missy mm-hmm. several times a month. And then we're just going to tack that one on as extra. Yeah, absolutely. Just to give us a little something different to talk about, you know, one time a month. But um, yeah, so we're going to do that. And then if uh, anybody has any questions or anything they want us to discuss, make sure you can email us at truecrimebroads at yahoo.com. Or you can like our page, like uh, Crystal said, True Crime Broads um, on Facebook or Instagram. And we will be happy to give you a shout out on our next podcast or answer any questions or discuss something that you you know, would like Sounds us to discuss. like a deal. All right. Well, I guess we will, um, we will, uh, 
probably do another podcast here in less than a week. And we sounds good. Thank you, Renee. And thank you everyone for listening. We're looking forward to hearing from you on our social media, or at least we hope that you'll join us for our next program. Thank you again for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.